welcome to another chapter of In The Keep Podcast. I'm your very own prophet of the drowned god, the Motherlode. This show is all about the world of first-person shooters, their legacies, their lineage, and the people who keep that world turning. It is the will of the drowned god, Cathala, that our communities band together to frag and jib one another into oblivion for all eternity. Hello there, keepers of the faith. It is I, Motherlode. This week I bring to you a wonderful interview with the developer of the game, Hedden. He goes by the alias Zan, and I really enjoy this interview uh, for a multitude of reasons, but especially because this is not your typical Doom mod, or, you know, technically this is a full-on new game built in the Doom engine, but this is not your typical thing like that. This is something really special. Zan has spent years, you know, thinking up lore into this. It, it's not just a, a Doom clone by any stretch of the imagination. This is a game that has a tremendous amount of tactic and storytelling and immersiveness that you just, you can't compare it to Doom. And we'll really get into that in the interview. But I want to say that I just I had a great time talking to Zan, and the, especially one of the more interesting things about him is that he is in fact an architect, and some of the architecture of this game is just below your mind, the level design, and another thing is the, the way the music plays into this, and these are some really cool tracks that you're going to hear as we get into the uh, intro and then outro of the interview, but just pay a little bit of attention to these and actually try to take it in because the atmosphere of the game depends heavily on the music. Some of the levels are actually designed around the music, which Zan will get into for a bit in the interview. So this first track that you're going to hear is by Methadone Skies. It is called Exit the Void. You can go check him out on his YouTube channel, which I'll provide in the show links. And the track that you'll hear after the interview is by Alexander Brandon, a veteran of the industry. The song is called one calm day and i'll provide his Bandcamp page also in the episode notes so without any more bullshit for me let's get in the keep with zan character from Hedon, uh, which I'm the creator of. For those of you who don't know what Hedon is, uh, it's basically an action-adventure game uh, running on the GZ Doom engine and bearing inspiration from uh, basically some older games, uh, primarily the classic shooters, but uh, not necessarily. It has a bit of uh, RX Vitalis in it. It has a bit of Thief. Uh, it's basically like the gameplay functions as a retro shooter with some uh, Hexen-like uh, inventory and exploration segments and uh, puzzles, uh, but it also has some story mixed in, some atmosphere, some uh, exploration segments, so it's not just frantic action all the time. It's one of the first things that I kind of had to uh, readjust my expectations about when I've played the game. A lot of people 
when you, they read tags like you know it's a boomer core you know it's classic first person shooter that kind of thing and it has all of those elements but the reality of Hedon is that the game itself has a lot of very rich storytelling in it that you're kind of required to engage in to progress and it's not like a lot of people you know just want to play like doom where like i run through and i kill all the monsters i find the keys and i move on yeah Whereas, yeah i know yeah well Hedon uh, has a lot more of that rpg element to it and it didn't disappoint me i, I don't in any way want to give that impression i just was kind of caught off guard when I started playing. Like, oh shit, I've been running around this level for forty five minutes and I have no idea what I'm doing. Yeah, it's it's interesting because I I never really mentioned in the description that it's like Doom, but people assume it's like it because of the engine. So that's why. Right. Uh, and I usually I had to struggle quite a bit to like adjust the store description to be more accurate about it. Now with Hexen, like that's kind of the first thing you list if you go if anyone goes and looks at the Steam. That's the first thing that comes up, and like that is a very difficult to navigate game and story. Like you do have to spend a lot of time, kind of like going around, and even after you've killed all the enemies, figuring out what you're going to do. At least the first time you play it, when you don't really know what you're doing. Yeah, but I mean, there's there's also segments where we just have enemies spawning in in waves, so that's pretty much goes to like painkiller from exploration right. goes to dial up to eleven. And and for those classic Doom fans, you have some really amazing parts in Hedden where you are put in just a big round arena room and you get to run around in circles and annihilate waves of enemies. And that there's something for everyone in this game is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the point of design I went with. I wanted to have like a lot of variation in it. I mentioned the the rich storytelling and I, I didn't quite appreciate it until I looked more into it, but so you got some like Tolkien level storytelling going on. You've really thought this out over years and years and years of like how you want. Yeah, it. yeah, that's very true. So can you walk us through like who is Zan and like the whole Iron Division, everything? Kind of just give us a brief history. Yeah. So uh, yeah, with Zan, uh, it started like ten, eleven years ago, two thousand nine, I think, or even earlier a bit. Uh, Zen is basically one of my RPG characters, and uh, I was playing World of Warcraft, and I had this troll rogue, which was Zen. So uh, that's where the blue skin comes from, if you want to know. Yeah, and I was quite fond of this character because at that time uh, I had discovered Thief, which, by the way, is my favorite game, if you couldn't tell. Yeah. It's by far my number one game. And I was really excited about uh, games that gave me the stealth option because back in the day, uh, you know, having these games that just allow you to play either stealth or shoot out uh, weren't really that common. Uh, it's more of a post-2010 thingy. And uh, yeah, I grew attached to the character from World of Warcraft. Uh, I would use her on the forums since people were used to me being Zan. And that's kind of how I took her alias as my username across different places over the internet. So that's the the first stage of Zan. And I would generally make the character Zan in whatever RPG I would play. You know, she was generally this red-haired chick that she was she was a rogue, so her design was really different. She was like very light and uh, sharp. She wasn't how she is right now. Uh, what changed her design was basically later on uh, I met with I'm Feltacular, which, uh, by the way, is credited in the game, uh, and she became my girlfriend. And uh, later on, yeah, uh, later on we started playing Terra online, which 
has this um, uh, stereotypical big burly muscular race uh, which had the only option for blue skin and that made me sort of like force me to pick it as a character for Zan. So, you know, I was, ah, that's pretty interesting. It's a big, burly, muscular character. And, you know, if I'm still in a relationship, I might as well uh, assume the traditional role of a tank <laughs> and uh, Fail would be the healer, of course. And that's how big, burly, tanky Zan came to be. Uh, it's another step of her development. Uh, so yeah, this is, was like uh, six years ago, so quite a while ago. And uh, yeah, uh, later on, we didn't get to play too much Terra because Fail had some real life uh, stuff going on and her schedule became too erratic for us to be able to play. So uh, we were kind of forced to remove ourselves from the, uh, the video games and uh, start building our own version of the universe in which our characters would exist so that's kind of when i started working in earnest on the on the story and on the world of head-on uh, there's a forest uh, in the first map of uh, uh, head-on and that's basically one of the first ideas that i had and zan was sort of like this adventure running around there and uh, doing quests and killing bandits you know the usual rpg stuff Okay, so Zan is one of the main elements of uh, Head-On. Uh, the world was built across the years. Uh, the orcs are also kind of interesting uh, because, you know, orcs were generally that kind of evil, chaotic uh, race, uh, generic, very generic. And uh, at some point, of course, I started playing Warcraft and in their works had a bit of organization to them. They had a bit of uh, deeper lore, deeper meaning to them. And I felt it was really interesting and refreshing. So uh, it turned out to be one of my favorite uh, fantasy races because they were kind of like different from the norm, which was like humans in shiny golden armor and dwarves and elves and whatever. I was like, works felt a lot cooler at that time and they stuck with me. Uh, but of course, initially, they were kind of like standard orcs in the world. The Iron Division came to be from a necessity to be original. You know, I was like, okay, I have to give them an edge. Like, it's fine. They exist. People know what an orc is, uh, but I should give them an edge to be more different than the norm. Definitely. And I was like, you know, what if instead of a regular orc faction, I just go with like an Amazon faction of orcs, like combine the Amazon. So it's a female only with like orcs. And what if I give them some uh, kind of technology? And, you know, crystals were an idea that I had before. And they, they also fit well with the underground world. Now, I also had a lot of inspiration from Arx Fatalis and Ultima Underworld. Mm -hmm. uh, these games really felt really interesting to me and very unique. And uh, it's a mix of the underground atmosphere, but also the way these games worked and... Uh, the way they had you figure out stuff and figure out where to go next. And uh, sometimes I even had to like write down things. I, I, I really like that if you couldn't tell, like I like being a bit puzzly about games. Of course. Yeah, so um, Crystal Tech, Amazon Orcs, uh, you know, the idea started to take root in my brain. I would sketch stuff, I would think about stuff, but at the end of the day, you have to understand that I'm an architect. I don't, uh, I had no, uh, no prior knowledge to game design, no coding uh, resources, no nothing. 
so this was pretty much just an idea that I would just fantasize about and you know have have some fun with it. Like I wasn't planning to make a serious game with it. With the fact that you are professionally an architect, though, I do want to take a moment to kind of talk about some of the architecture in the game itself, which for the Doom engine is magnificent. I mean, it's this is probably one of the most beautiful anything ever created on the you know the cheesy doom engine or any doom engine ever uh the only other competitor that i would say is like clearly a lot more detail you know than the normal doom type thing goes into is like total chaos that wadaholic created and again these are you guys are leveraging this engine but making games that are not really akin to doom at all which people are not used to that really catches people off guard when they hear doom engine they just want a doom clone and you guys are thinking about it in a totally different way. And when you said that you were not a, a game designer, like you came at this with a fresh set of eyes and just an idea of what you wanted to do. So with that said, why did you choose the Doom Engine? Uh, this is funny because this is how I basically got into ga- uh, game development. Okay, so I have to talk a bit about shooters first. I've always been a bit disenfranchised with how the industry was going. And uh, I was literally just watching how shooters become dumber and dumber by the years. You know, they were being streamlined. uh, They were being turned into on-rails experience, cinematic experiences. um, And I, I just didn't like that. You know, at that time, people were like, oh, you're just being a contrarian. But I felt something about it and it wasn't something good. Now you're safe on this podcast with that opinion, trust me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so basically, I, I, the only, like, you have to understand that I didn't grow up playing retro shooters. You know, I had no idea about Doom, about Quake. Uh, my first shooter was Delta Force, and uh, that kind of turned me into a mil sim guy, like military simulators. Uh, I'm yeah. kind of a fan of them, you know, Delta Force, Arma, Operation Flashpoint, and so on. And I had, uh, when I was a kid, I had Serious Sam, the second encounter. Uh, so that was like the closest thing to a retro shooter that I would play. And the first time I played a, a retro shooter was, again, I was kind of like 12, 13, I don't know. It was Duke 3D basically, but <laughs> it already had the the 3D and the eDuke 32 updates. Like it had a polymer renderer and I played like the first time I played it, it already had like full 3D graphics. Uh, I know that some people really hate that, but for me, it was like the original experience. Like I never played that game with sprites. Uh, yeah, but aside from that, you know, time went on uh, and I didn't like what happened with shooters. And uh, one day I saw this Total Biscuit made a video about uh, this problem and he had Shadow Warrior on the case. She was like, she was like uh, playing Shadow Warrior and talking about the old design versus the new design. And that's, it's a pretty popular video. I think people know about it. And that got me thinking, it got me trying out the game. And I was like, yeah, yeah, this is what I'm talking about. Like, you know, there was a kind of freedom uh, and the kind of careful handmade design that I really loved about that game. And, you know, I would just go on and try out the other shooters like Blood, uh, Sin, again, a very amazing and underrated game. Uh, and uh, eventually I found out about Brutal Doom. So <laughs> this is the cornerstone of my entry in the game development. Um now, Brutal Doom, you have to understand that I didn't play it as a mod for Doom. It had that, um, uh, what's it called? Hell on Earth Starter Pack, which yep. basically yep. combines Brutal Doom with the Extermination Day map pack. And dude, as soon as I opened that up and I heard like metal music and marine chatter and stuff and seeing all that <laughs> satisfying violence and how good the weapons felt, I was like, 
okay, this is this is just perfect for me. And uh, yeah, that thing turned out to be one of my favorite FPS experiences ever. Like, uh, yeah, it's 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 a lot of stuff that I love, I love about it. And one of the things I really loved about it was it it combined, you know, Sergeant Mark IV is kind of a, a gun guy himself, you know, like you can see in Viet Doom that he's working on right now that he knows his guns. And I appreciated that as a Milsim guy because, uh, you know, you could like aim down the sights, uh, the shotgun was relatively accurate at ranges. You had all these little details from realistic shooters, uh, but merged into Doom. So that sort of made me really like the game. Uh, not to mention the uh, segments where you, you would have allies and you could like go a bit tactical with them. And that transitioned into a head-on as well. Okay, so um, I was mind blown by it. And then I found out that Sergeant Mark IV was previously a Warcraft 3 uh, mapper. And I was like, okay, so, you can just, you know, learn how to do this like all by yourself, and uh, yeah, that's how I said, okay, fuck it, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get working on my own game now. Well, that's really good that you kind of started with you. You knew what your end goal was, and I've, I've talked to a couple of other people with kind of the, a similar story. Where like you, you have a mapped out idea of what kind of story you want to tell and what kind of game you wanted to be, but then you have to like figure out everything else on the way. But that gives you the motivation, like keeps driving you towards that goal. Yeah, and this is something that I tell to people. I didn't choose GZ2 Engine because, you know, it's I wanted to make something retro. No, I wanted to make something retro, and I asked myself, what's the best engine to do this? Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. Because, you know, you already have the tools. I mean, that's what I wanted to make. I wanted, like, Doom-like combat with Hexen-like inventory. Uh, of course, some scripts, but that's not really unfamiliar to the engine and that was it i didn't want to expand the engine or anything so then you have like all of the little details of learning how to map and everything how did you tackle that were you using trench broom or like what, what kind of tools were made available to you and who are you communicating with yeah that's that's the thing i i luckily i had this i mean it wasn't even a friend i had a, an acquaintance that i knew that was making doom maps right. and i asked him uh, like okay dude I want to start doing this. What do I need? And, you know, that person was very patient with me. They told me, uh, you, okay, you need to, we basically have like the Doom editor and the Slade 3, which is like the resource manager for the, our, the game archive. You know, you mix your assets with the code in there. And, um, dude, it was really hard. Like my brain was just not wired to understand how game is supposed to function. So it took me just days just to comprehend like what's the link between, I mean, I would understand that you have to like put an asset in there and then link it with code, but that was, that was it. Like everything else I had to like search and ask, uh, now, okay. ZDoom has a really good uh, Wikipedia with like documentation and you can also ask on the forums and people are very helpful. And yeah, I, I kind of like inched my way into it like this and I started, well, first of all, I, I made like a test map to learn the editor, which wasn't that hard. Like that's the easy part in my opinion, if you want to start this. Uh, and then what I did was like, okay, let's make a hub area, something simple. I had some textures left over from when I helped a friend of mine uh, with a project, like he was trying to make some sort of Terraria uh, clone for mobile, but for some reason it never worked. And I still had a bunch of textures. And some of these textures are actually still in the game. Uh, and uh, it's kind of funny because 
it's those uh, layered grass with stone textures that sort of like give it that Minecraft look that some people mentioned about. And that's why it looks like Minecraft because it was meant for a 2D Minecraft game, which is kind of hilarious. Uh, and I had these textures, I just slapped them in there and I was like, okay, now I have to make a weapon. So I would just look up a tutorial or something and just bang my head against the wall until I came up with something. And that was the spike gun. It's the first uh, gun in the game. And, you know, I just kept going on like this, like, okay, I have the weapon, I have the graphics. Okay, I, I learned how to make the animations. Okay, now I need sounds. Uh, time to find out about Audacity, time to find out about uh, Creative Commons. Oh yeah, this is important. I, I didn't intend head-on to be a game, like a commercial game. I always said, because back then, uh, GZ Doom required a Doom mod to function. So technically, you, you just couldn't make a commercial game because you had to like include a set of assets that was copyrighted, which is either Doom or Freedom or... Yeah, you get it. Right. Uh, so I, was, I wasn't setting off to make a commercial game. I was just like, you know, I'm just going to make something. Maybe if it goes well, I'll open a Patreon for it. If people like it, they'll donate, whatever. But um, I always said that I'm going to make it at as much as I can at the commercial standards. So no copyrighted assets, no legal issues with it from the get-go. And um, yeah, I had to pick up Audacity. Luckily, I have a, a good year, so I was pretty decent at mixing sounds to make to make them interesting. Like, you know, I had some weird sounds, like uh, for the spike gun, uh, you know, that sound when you pick a mag or you pick the spike gun is just the sound of a stapler. And it, it's pretty <laughs> interesting. I mean, it sounds really good, you know? Yes, I was going to literally, part of my notes was like to tell you how amazing I thought the sound design to this game was, but it's so funny, man. Yeah, there's a lot of funny stuff. Like for some of the fire sounds, uh, like the texture of the sound is from the rain falling on the ground. Uh, it sort of gave that warm uh, wood cackling uh, noise. Yeah. So it's kind of like an opposite sound of water, but it sounds like fire. And, you know, there's a bunch of interesting stuff like that. And I just, just went like this, you know, I would uh, then just be, okay, time to make the first map. So I started making, initially the game had a, uh, the start was in the caves, you know, there wasn't that hell segment. Uh, I'll get to this later. Uh, but yeah, the caves, I started making the caves. You know, I need the sprites to fill them up with, I need assets and I would just go like that, step by step, step by step, very slowly, but eventually it started going better. And um, yeah, regarding my initial intentions, I was like, okay, uh, I'm doing this in my spare time. I'm not gonna make money out of this. I'm doing this because I'm fed up with the AAA industry and what they do. So the logic answer is to just make something that's very against mainstream. And uh, of course, the first thing I went with was like a very enigmatic level, you know, something that could genuinely piss people off uh, and go back to some of the principles of the old games. Like the, I always said that the dead end, you know, the dead end, every AAA developer, if you tell them about dead ends, they'll be like, that's like the worst thing you can do in, in a level. But I was like, you know, what if you can use it to maybe give your level an edge and like put it somehow in a, in a composition with the rest of the level, you know, have the dead end suggest maybe a path or increase the complexity of the map, but not necessarily be something bad or like a dead weight. Uh, and that's what the first level was about. It was about backtracking and figuring out what you have to do. Uh, of course, at first it was a bit different. It was like a lot uh, more enigmatic than it is right now. Uh, like right now, for example, you have that first locked door that basically seals off uh, half of it. 
Initially, that thing didn't exist there, and people had to actually figure out that uh, in the mossy cave, uh, how you go to the right, you actually have to jump on those things. You know, it, it was really cryptic, and some people loved it. Like I, I got some really nice feedback, and I and that made me motivated. Uh, so I just went on with that kind of design that just I knew wasn't for everyone, and I would assume that. But I was like, you know, if you're an indie dev, don't do what the industry is doing. Like you need to fill some demands that people have left uh, that the industry just can't satisfy. That's why indies exist. That's one of the things that over the past several days I've been streaming myself play through the game. And you're right, it is very frustrating and very puzzling. But a lot of people jump in and ask you like, hey, you know, because I'm anybody who watches my stream knows that it's mostly like this type of game, like these retro shooters and Doom mods and everything like that. And they look at Hedden and they're like, oh, okay, so uh, should, do you think I should try this out? And my first reaction is like, yeah, I think you should try it out. But if you're, you know, if you're expecting to just zip through this in a couple of days or whatever, like don't don't walk into this game thinking that it's something that it's not. And I think that's a pretty challenging thing for you in general was to try to get past that initial uh, assumptions that people were going to make about it and just sell the game that you wanted to. But also is the fact that you have repeated several times how you're saying you know, I wanted to go against the industry and I don't, you know, I'm fed up with the way that they do things and everything like that. And that's exactly kind of what this show has been about from the get go. But I would also say that you've basically indirectly stated that you, you've you made this for the sake of making something for yourself. It wasn't like you were attempting to try to, you never were trying to sell anybody exactly. on your yeah. idea. Yeah. There's like, I want to make this because I'm passionate about it. Yeah. Head on was initially a game for myself and myself only and you know if people like it uh, that's great it's the perfect in my opinion that's the kind of art i want to consume i don't want stuff that's made for the masses and i never have like i've just never been that kind of person yeah and i think yeah. people are hungry for stuff like I, i've said this many times over the course of several different interviews but i really do think that the way to really make your name in this industry is not to have a bunch of people buy your game and then never think about you again in you know two years from then. It's to create something that is true to yourself. And then the people who do end up playing it and do end up liking it are going to really like it because they had to you know, put some investment, personal investment into yeah, exactly. the project. Yeah. And, I, and I've just had people telling me that, you know, this is the best. This is my top five shooters I've ever played. And it's amazing. Like you're, you're a nobody and people tell you that. Like, how does that feel? <laughs> I've had a lot of people like posting on Twitter or just in general commenting about this game that it's, you know, clearly, and I've said that myself, it's not for everybody, but for the people that it's for, it's really, really for them. Like they love it and they're probably going to stick with you and, you know, whatever you end up creating, even if it weren't a video game, they'd probably be like, hey, let's go check out what Zan's doing because you had touched them with your art. Yeah. Now, of course, uh, there has to be a balance. And uh, uh, as I said, like the first map, was really, really patched a lot of times in order to, because you, you generally want to have people uh, give you a chance. You know, it's not about appeasing to them, but it's about telling them, hey, you know, this is a bit hard, this is a bit obscure, but at the same time, look, there's something, maybe something more, there, be, there will be more action in the future, or, you know, you have to give them a bit of incentive to play your game. Of course. One of the things I, I stuck to with head on was the pacing of the entire campaign. I had this scheme in my mind in which, if you notice, the first two maps are pretty 
puzzling and pretty, you know, intertwining and complex and stuff. But then the third map is pretty straightforward. Like you just have, it's the barracks map where you just have two paths, which are pretty much linear. Then you have a big battle. And again, it's kind of linear. So I was like, you know, the player starts playing is uh, they have the most enthusiasm and energy at the start. Later on, I have to do something because if I keep the levels being cryptic, then it will just become jarring to them. So I have to have these moments of breathing space and of relaxation, a bit like make, make stuff a bit more streamlined. And uh, yeah, I went with some sort of scheme involving the general pacing across the levels. And this is also one of the reasons why Hedon has a bit of variation to it. Like yeah. it's not really fitting into one genre. It kind of takes you across several different genres in the course of the game. Like, you know, you start off and as you said, the first two levels are these cryptic, uh, you know, that you have like the dead end path where you like come up on a door or, you know, a portal or whatever it happens to be. And you're like, okay, now you read something in that room that tells you how to obtain passage through there. So then you have to go back and find something else. And you do a lot of that. And then you get that change of pace in level three where you get to kind of just run through and mow down a bunch of enemies. And it's really fun. And then, Later on in the game, and I'm not trying to spoil it too much, but I feel like a lot of the people, you know, are gonna want to play it because I'm saying this. Then you kind of get this part where like your levels are your your weapons are gone, and then you have to be stealthy and you just kind of ingest some story and take a break from the the fast paced action that you've been playing through a lot of. Time. Yeah, that's that's the mid game break. It, again, it's right. a a break intended to like relax the player a bit and shift the tone a bit and expand on the story too. Like you. That's an expert design, in my opinion, is that like, though this is different, it serves a purpose. It's not there for no reason. Like you get to just lean back and like kind of learn a little bit about wh what the character is doing a, a lot more because it's hard uh, for a lot of people, especially younger people who are playing games like this. They're not used to reading through things. They just want fast paced story fed to them or like, you know, moving cinematic pieces and everything. And you mix that really well with. Uh, it's it's really beautiful and also simplistic, like especially the parts in the in the underworld or or hidden or whatever you want to call it, where you're, you know, you see the illumination of a, a character, and then they, you have a monologue from the antagonist, kind of telling you, okay, this is what you're looking at, and then here's the story behind it. But it, it doesn't ever feel like, oh God, why am I sitting here watching this at any point? At least not to me. Yeah, and there's also the the soundtrack, which was very important. It's kind of funny, but. I had to actually expand this level to adjust it to the soundtrack. And this is not something that I've done only once. Uh, yeah, I, I actually, uh, you know, Akzul, which is like the dedicated composer of the first level soundtrack, he would sometimes just send me a track and I would like uh, drip into the mood and like try to adjust the level a bit to fit the soundtrack. Uh, but this is more apparent to the licensed soundtracks. In, in that case, in Map 6, it's like Metadon Skies, which is like a instrumental stoner rock band, which I really love. And, uh, you know, I reached out to them. I really love that song. And I was like, okay, how am I going to fit the level around this song? That's really interesting, actually. That's a different kind of level design, you know? Yeah, there's, there's bits of that around the places, yeah. So has music always been something really important to you in that regard? Well, yeah, I'm, gonna, I'm also going to talk about Alexander Brandon because at some point he complained that, you know, media today sort of has like, it's the same thing as with games. Soundtracks, 
just go into the background. They just fade in there. Like they're good, but they don't stand out. They don't, you know, you're going to enjoy the moment. You're going to enjoy the music. But at the end of the day, you're not going to remember the song or hum it in the back of your brain. Uh, you know, it's, it's very shy stuff. So I was like, okay, fuck it. Uh, I like a certain type of music and that's why you hear both uh, metal and electronic stuff and some ambient stuff. And, you know, if people like it, they'll love it. If people hate it, they'll hate it. And trust me, there are some people who really don't like the, the metal parts or uh, some of the music in the game. But again, it's, it's, it's a music that stands out. And that's what impressed me, also impressed me about Brutal Doom. You know, you had all these metal pieces and like the Andrew Holschultz remixes of the Quake stuff. They were really, really standing out. It was amazing. I think that's an important part of everything. And it's it's kind of uh, one of those things, again, that you only really see in independent games. I, I would say uh, some of the music that we've seen come out of the recent Doom games, you know, regardless of how anybody feels about the games, like the music itself is like exactly that kind of thing where like this music really drives the pace of the game and feels like, you know, the right kind of music for the storytelling they're going for. And with your game, I, I felt the same way. I I do want to get on a, like a brief tangent, at least about the, the characters themselves and what they look like, because this is like a, they're like these fantasy orc pinup girls, a lot of them. And they're like kind of thicker than a bowl of oatmeal and sort of sexy, depending on how you want to look at that. But that is a it's something that people take away from the game. And then with that is like, they kind of feel almost, you know, fantasy or anime ish, or it might appeal to that genre of people. And then the music kind of sets the tone and that it does, uh, remind me of something like Elfin Lead or something like Fully Cooly that people might gravitate towards that sort of uh, storytelling and that sort of character. So when you were drawing the characters, what, what was your kind of intention? Okay, so uh, yeah, I actually explained this to my Patreons, but uh, Zan is basically, it was one of the first animated characters that had legs. So you have to understand that I'm basically drawing them up from scratch in Photoshop, which is pretty nice for sprites and for textures. But when it comes to animation, it, it just turns into hell because I sort of like have to draw each part of the body on a different layer. And then when I animate, I sort of like just manipulate these body parts like it's a doll, you know. Okay. With Zen, it's a bit more uh, weird because because of my lack of experience, first of all, I didn't know about the thing in Doom in which you have to like... Uh, Doom itself, or at least Giza Doom, uh, scales stuff on the vertical axis, like it, it stretches stuff on the vertical axis. So I didn't know that you could manually scale uh, sprites on the different axes. So what I would do is I would just make stuff wider than normal. So when it goes into the engine, it would just be auto-corrected. So that's the intention I had with Zan. So from the get-go, I sort of like made her thicker and... Uh, yeah, uh, the animation also contributed to her like having a very ample torso because I needed space for the joints of the legs so I wouldn't have to like redraw everything. I could just edit the stuff. And this is probably the weakest thing in head-on. Like the animations, they're not just that great. Like I'm not super happy with them, but I think they do the job at the end of the day. So I'm not going to complain too much about them. Oh, it's a good inconvenience. I think that's part of some of the appeal to it is like, oh, yeah, well, you get to play as like this sexy orc. Yeah, people keep telling me like, you know, why don't you just use 3D models? And I'm like, yeah, that would be a really good idea and it, it would save me a lot of time and effort, but it would also kill like the spirit that these things have. Like they have their own soul and appeal that I just don't want to change, even if they're janky. 
So yeah, that's that's kind of it. The rest of the orgs are a bit more tame, but again, it was just a matter of, you know, I want to see sexy chicks in my games. Uh, there's not a lot of them in serious games. So, you know, just let's make it. So back to kind of the musical tangent. When you're, for example, the parapet, right? This is a, one of the more puzzling levels that I've gotten to. And you have all the, you know, the machinery and everything going on. And you have like these, you know, wide open spaces where you get to battle a lot of enemies and these really tall towers and beautiful scenery and everything. And so did you create levels like this with the song already in mind? And then I'm going to create a level around that song. Or did you like have a selection of music to choose from and then kind of see what fits into what you're going for because as you said you had a combination of like composed music and you had a comp you know some music that was uh you know commercial that you reached out to people to get i'm just wondering which ones are which yeah for that particular level again it's alexander brandon Uh, it's one of his personal tracks but that particular track reminded me of unreal very much and his work in unreal yeah and that's the theme of the level like when the music starts playing on the elevator and then that gate opens, the first thing you see is like this uh, brown uh, metal and like sparks and electric stuff. And for me, I don't know, that was the image of Unreal from my childhood. So I went with an image, but at the same time, I sort of like uh, went my own way. Like I didn't look at Unreal and like, okay, let's take this, take this, take this. No, I, I just took my an image from it, a mental image from it, something very sensitive. Also wanted to ask, because we, we mentioned earlier kind of the, you didn't intend for the game to be commercialized. And then later on, you, you decided to, you know, sell it. Did you decide I need to get rid of the, the dot wad and everything? And how did you go about doing that? Uh, yeah. So when I, when I made the game, I said, okay, even if I make this very seriously, I'm just going to release whatever I release for free. And uh, very late, I think it was like the game was already mostly finished and I was uh, like doing the final patching to it. Uh, I had a friend who told me, hey, you know, why don't you just put this on Steam? And I'm like, can you do that? And they're like, yeah, GZ uh, Doom recently got rid of the, uh, the necessity to run with an IWAD, so... You can literally just turn your own game into an iWad. And that's what Head-On is today. And I was like, yeah, why the fuck not? Uh, but the game is still available for free. Like, you have to understand yeah. that I, I had a free release on uh, the ZDoom forums. And then I was like, okay, this is the first episode. From now on, if I want to keep working on this and take it seriously, I should be making some money out of it. So I went to Steam and... Uh, yeah, when you go to Steam, you have like an absolute explosion of exposure. Like I had people mailing me for reviews. I had, you know, a lot of people looking at it, playing it, streaming it. Like it was a huge influx of feedback. And at first it was really difficult because I had to just start adjusting a lot of stuff and start patching a lot of stuff and a lot of bugs were showing up. So that's why... uh, the Steam version got to be quite more polished than the free one. Uh, and it also has like the Berserk difficulty, which was a later addition to it. But, you know, in the future, I'm just going to work on episode two. And um, I'm not promising anything, but there is also a chance for someone making an expansion for Head-On, which, again, I want to release for like free. That's really cool. I know a lot of people were kind of off-put by that. I think there's just this tradition within the Doom community of like everything has to be given away for free or whatever because it's all, you know, like based on an engine that was given away to us for free. I don't know. 
I don't know why they have that. There's nothing wrong uh, with that, and it's bred a lot of good things. You know, but... it's it's not everyone. Like a lot of people were supportive. I think it's just some few loud people about this. Yeah, a, a vocal minority. I'm just saying that. I think you definitely you put a lot of time and effort, and it, there's no real assets that you shared from any anybody else's game at all. This is a complete work of art, and I think that to motivate you to continue to make it like or whatever like or to justify the time that you've put into it of course you should make some money like i i 100 percent support that yeah and also had to like figure out what's the best model to go by and that's why i made a patreon page because the idea is like okay i'm gonna make a game that appeals to a, a narrow number of people a niche uh, mm-hmm. so it's logical to just have some of my income come from people that are interested in this and then just try to go with the lowest price possible on a store to just allow to, to make the game more accessible to people. That's the idea. Like I want people right. to be at least exposed to it. And that's also why I tell them about the free version. Of course, I can't say there's a free version on the Steam store because Valve's going to get pissed about it. But every time I, I can, I just tell them, hey, you can get this for free. Uh, you, you talked earlier about the guns in brutal doom and how they kind of shaped your opinion on this game and how you wanted to design the weapons. And I think that's really interesting because the weapons are all clearly like just they're these made up fantasy things, but they function uh, in really interesting ways. For instance, you, you mentioned earlier the, the spike gun, the spike shooter. And I noticed after a bit like, okay, this is a, you know, basically a machine gun. It's got its own kind of sound going on, but you can also like aim it down sight and you get like a three round burst, just like when you're shooting an M16. And I just thought that was like, okay, cool. Like this, this guy really gets what he's doing here. And then you, you go on and there's really interesting weapons. You have like the kind of shotgun esque weapon and you have a rocket launcher, which is like a crossbow. And like, how did you kind of think up what sorts of weapons you wanted to have in the game? And then kind of lay out the progression of how the player would pick them up and, and interact with the environment with them. Yeah, the idea and the design ties into my previous uh, story about how the lore of the game evolved. Uh, and I basically, like, all these weapons had some stages in my brain. Like, I still have some old uh, paper sketches with their old designs. The spy gun was looking really different initially. Uh, but yeah, I would I would just develop like the the weapon. It's it's sort of like a mix between trying to be original, trying to be functional, but at the same time trying to have a bit of logic behind these weapons. Let's not not just make something that's ridiculous. Like for example, the spike gun is a, essentially a crystal powered Gauss rifle. You know, it has some metal coils inside, uh, powered by crystals. Okay, it shoots spikes. It's not entirely realistic or feasible, but it has a bit of logic behind the design. I just developed them for a long time and i think that's why they came out to be pretty good and pretty uh, different from one each other because i i just took my time designing them and I, they had like multiple phases like for example the the potion launcher was initially supposed to shoot random potions that had similar effects and it was like you know acid uh, fire uh, frost potion stuff that was just randomly coming out of it. But, you know, I was like, yeah, if I implement this in the game, it might just end up being annoying. So, you know, let's just think about narrowing them down and making the weapon a bit more stable. So I was like, okay, I'll just use the toxic potions and the acid potions. Then you get the ability to choose between your ammo, which is a roundabout way of getting back to a something that's pretty common in weapon game de- development. It's just like you have alt fires or different types of ammo. So that's that's a good way of looking at it too. 
Yeah, it was interesting to try to balance these weapons around. Like, for example, the, the frag fire gun shoots frag and shoots also fire, but I had to use the same ammo source. So how do I make this weapon, like both the fires uh, usable and not just have the players just using one of the fire modes? And, you know, it's just about uh, giving monster their resistance. is like demons, okay, are resistance to fire. Uh, they don't enter pain states from fire. So the flamethrower is more useful against humans or punched up enemies. But then again, there were concerns regarding the range of the flamethrower, the speed, the spread, stuff like that. Like I just had to constantly tinker with these parameters. And yeah. I did a lot of this through the feedback that I received and from watching people play the game. It's especially because it's some of the enemies are kind of akin to enemies in Doom in that, you know, you even have the robot. Well, I call them cacodemons, but I understand that they're their own thing. And then they when they explode and you get like the, the suicide bomber things flying towards you, they're very hearkening uh, back to Doom with those yeah, enemies. There's a good and, reason for this. It's because I wanted head on to be compatible with Doom maps at a later point. Yeah. So it's like you can play head on on a vanilla Doom and, you know, you're not going to have bugs. Like if there's a place that's inaccessible and it's supposed to spawn a Kako demon, you know, the Kako demon replacement from head on is the warlock. Uh, they can still fly. Like it's a flying enemy. It's sim somewhat similar and so on. The weapons are, again, it's like uh, the pistol is the spy gun. You start with it. Then there's the shotgun, which is the frag fire cannon and so on. I just dig that you obviously had to kind of engineer your way out of issues and luckily you had the help and feedback of people to do it but one of the things that you have to do when you're creating weapons at least if you want it to be it's different for something like russian overkill where it's just supposed to be outlandish and crazy but you wanted these weapons to feel like they make sense and that you have to make decisions about what weapons you're going to use against different enemies and everything and yeah and uh, this shows in the axe <laughs> most yeah. than anything else because i was like it's it's just a pity a lot of games have melee weapons but they're not really that useful in combat so you know, I thought about ways in which I could make the axe viable later on in the game. And I was like, okay, what if you throw it? That was a pretty good idea. And a lot of people just love that. It's like the hallmark of uh, Hedon's weapons. One of my favorite things about Hedon is that when I run out of ammo or at any point in time when I'm in a fight with a lot of people, I just take one of those, the potions that slows down time, or crystals, time crystals. And then sure, yeah. break out the, or the axe and just start whacking enemies' heads off. And <laughs> It's like one of the most satisfying things about this game is that you can kind of play with that. And a lot of people, I think, are going to maybe miss that when they first start playing. Yeah, like yeah they the do. First playthrough. Uh, I did for the, like the first level, whole first level. And once I figured that out, I'm like, oh, yeah. And then you have, you know, several different things that you've implemented into the game. Like just that can kind of be used tactically. And that's not something that's almost it's weird to say this, but. A tactical game built into Doom is just so, it's always exciting for me, at least. Yeah, it's like the combat itself is a puzzle. That's yeah. the idea. It's so um, and this also ties in a bit to how I designed Head-On. Like, uh, one thing I liked about old games is that uh, there was that process of learning. You know, the game was, you, you had to use your own resources to understand the game. You would either read the manual or you would experiment with things. But nowadays games sort of like try to put everything into your face. And that's not just saying that there's a tip telling you, okay, this weapon can do that. Uh, this also reflects in the level design, you know, like they, they, they just try to force the player to use weapons at the right time uh, or items. They just create this environment 
uh, in which suggests the use of what the, what they what they should use basically uh, this isn't by no means bad level design i think it's just that valve had a lot of influence with half-life and their design ideas like you know you should subtly uh, tell the player what to do but i think there's also alternatives to that and you know valve kind of destroyed the build engine slash quake slash doom kind of games because they they introduced that kind of design in which you have to to be very careful towards the player and always make sure that you're holding their hand even if that hand is invisible and you're not directly pointing them to where they have to go and that translates to also the the use of inventory items the use of weapons like you know you don't know that the pink gas from the potion launcher isn't flammable uh, you can read about it, you can deduct that from reading the text, but, you know, some people don't read the text and they just find out that it explodes watching a Cerberus shoot fire into it. And they're like, ah, okay, I can do that. And for me, that's important. Like, the, the player just has fun learning and finding out these things. Yeah. Even with the Iron Maidens, like, using the gas against them is really satisfying, too. You shoot the yeah. gas and then they, they stall in the area and... I, at first, I was just kind of sitting there, like watching them choke on poison, and then I'd keep doing it slowly. And then I realized, like after, after a certain point, I think another enemy like fired into it or like crashed into it, it exploded, and then everything blew up. And then now I'm like, oh, yeah, we've got a whole new way to take out these. Uh, the Iron Maidens are really interesting enemy, and I actually want to go on a tangent about them. Yeah, the, the funny thing about them is that there's just so many surefire ways to kill them, but the players yeah. just have to experiment. Like, one way is just to shoot the fire at them, because, you know, they you hit them up even if they have the shield that they set up on fire. Uh, another way is to just uh, use the old fire of the crossbow. A lot of people don't use the old fire, which is basically uh, kind of like the crossbow from Dusk, but it doesn't go through walls. Like, it's a Reaper projectile. It just punches through multiple enemies and it's very fast as well and it punches through the shield as well uh, a lot of people never use the old fire of the crossbow and i'm still struggling to like give them a hint uh, there is like that text next to where you pick it up in the shooting range in the barracks map but i don't know well that said there there are a lot of weapons in the game that like you don't really assume this has a an alt fire and then you, you kind of like accidentally hit it that's how it happened for me <laughs> yeah yeah, uh, you can also just shoot acid at them, which again makes sense because it goes through iron. And uh, acid is also uh, very useful against forge elementals and the urchins because, again, they're made from iron. Like, if you kill a forge elemental using acid, it won't spawn any urchins. But these are supple things, things you know, that the player should notice in time and learn about it. Now, uh, regarding architecture, I had to, like, combine... Uh, the real architecture with like functionality uh, with the game itself because at the end of the day uh, you know in reality you have concerns regarding structure regarding safety measures and so on but in the game you you need to think about uh, how large a space is how the player can like adapt to a space you know you can't just make the same room sizes because if you put something from real life into a game, it might just not work. Like it might just get clunky and get into the way. So I had to like find a balance between functionality and uh, make a game design. Um, and again, head-on is, is a kind of game that focuses on, it's not realism, it's authenticity. You know, I wanted to make a world that makes sense in itself. Like uh, there's even the, even the smallest building has some sort of purpose or some sort of story behind it. 
you know, uh, the plaza, for example, which is the second map, uh, there's there's a hierarchy between the the middle spaces. Uh, you have you know you start off with the taxing office, then you have the guardhouse, you have a tavern. Like all this stuff just makes sense from a functional standpoint. Uh, and then you know I just sort of like try to merge that with a bit of non-linear design and see how 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 I place the locked doors, how I make the puzzles. You know maybe I just make a breakable wall, maybe I just put a switch there and. It sort of had to strike a balance between realism and game design. Yeah, and it's some of the most beautiful like architecture, as I said earlier, that I've ever seen in anything created on the Doom engine. Like it's just absolutely magnificent and kind of inspiring, you know. Like because people always think that they know the the limits of something until they see someone kind of come in and do a Jimi Hendrix on it. Like, oh, you can do that with that thing or that instrument or that, you know, whatever it happens. Yeah, but. At the same time, I didn't uh, try to expand further than what the Giza Doom engine can do. Because, you know, I try to stick to what it is meant to do. And uh, oftentimes I had to to make some detailed areas and then I had to remove stuff from them because it was affecting performance. That was another issue I had. Like, for example, in the parapet map, you have this the area with the towers, which looks a bit flat. There's no light. There's no, uh, you know, it's a bit open and empty and that's mainly because i had to just sacrifice space sacrifice buildings uh, remove trees because i had to like optimize it so at the end of the day you know i try to stay true to gz2 and not make any compromise of these sorts all right i really appreciate you coming on the show zan yeah thanks a lot thanks a lot uh, i don't know what to say thanks for uh, for doing this because uh, you know one thing is making the game another is playing it and but most importantly you need to have someone to tell people about the game so yeah i mean i'm really glad to do that it's my favorite thing really just to talk about the things that i really enjoy and to kind of open my eyes to new things too sometimes because as i said come into it with certain expectations and i was treated to like a whole different style of gameplay that i'm not really like an expert on or like that i don't spend a lot of time doing so with that, with that said, you did give a, a little bit of a plug earlier into that you would like to release perhaps an expansion, but for you personally, do you see yourself continuing down the path of a game dev or is this like a one-off for you? What do you think? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I have a lot of future ideas and not just for Heaven, but for future games. All right, well, when you get ready to release something or you want to announce something, man, you're always invited to come back on the show and I feel like we'll never run out of stuff to talk about. Yeah, sure. I would love that. Keep is a listener-supported podcast and also a player-supported community. We depend on you to keep the lights on. And I want to say thank you to all of the people who are already giving in some way. So Dots, Moose, Paul, Zach, Alexander, Lashaka, Brad, Nine Owl, Tones, Jeffrey, Larissa, Nabe, Steve, NVZ, Catman, Samiko, Chibi Sniper, and Donkey. Thank you all. These are all people who have given on Patreon, PayPal, through their credit cards, doing their shopping with our Amazon affiliate link, buying merchandise on our Redbubble page, or becoming Nitro Boosters for our Discord, which is a big help in, you know, just for having fun in the Discord, but also the sound quality of the podcast, because many of them are recorded through Discord. Huge, huge thanks to each and every one of you. If you are out there listening and you'd like to join up these people, you can go to endthekeep.com and find all of our support links right there on that page. 
Patreon subscribers get the podcast early as well as, you know, merchandise perks and everything like that. So consider doing that if you want to. Really appreciate it. And hey, if you don't have the cash or you don't have, you know, whatever, maybe you just don't want to, please stay along for the ride. The best thing that you can do for the keep is to spread the word. And I'm serious. Go out and tell people, tell your friends, tell people that you think would be interested. Share it on your social media. Don't just like it. Retweet it. Post it, whatever. If you like it, scream it from the rooftops. Show the drowned god Kathala what you're made of. We're also brought to you by a few different organizations. I want to say thank you to QuakeFans.net, your home online for all things arena first-person shooters. You can also go to RocketJump.Zone, a community of people who put on some really incredible tournaments, mostly for Quake champions lately, but we'll see what they get into uh, in the future, and hopefully we'll get to hear from them pretty soon on the show. State of Quake, longtime supporters, uh, like they founded this show essentially and helped us get it off the ground. But hey, they're back doing King of the Hill, so if you're a State of Quake fan, get back in there and play in one of those tourneys. Multiplayer Doom Federation, we support them. I also recommend you check out their podcast, which I produce, called Doom is Dead Podcast, and tell them Motherload sent you. And finally, the U.S. Quake community. What is there not to say? This is an amazing community of people playing all things arena shooters, but mostly, you know, Quake and Doom and stuff like that. And just can always depend on them for a great time. That's all for me. Till next time, stay in the keep. <laughs>